Lord, we've come to this place to praise your name today. And so, Father, I just pray again as we look at your word, and especially the Old Testament, Lord, and we see how you related to your people and how your people related to you, and we see the good and the bad, and, and Lord, the obedience and the disobedience. I pray, Father, that we would digest these lessons into our Christian lives. And so, Lord, just fill us with your spirit. Gives us understanding. Just one more time we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor? Greetings. Alex? Well, as I mentioned this morning, we were taking a offering for Ann Lett for her, actually, for her services, um, and also for mortuary expenses and whatnot. The family didn't have the funds for that, and we were able to raise more than what was necessary, and so that was a blessing. Um, we are going to, today was be the last day that we were going to receive anything, and anything else we get above and beyond, we're going to put towards our services that will be here at the church um, the end of the month. Um, I believe it's on the 25th. I don't recall exactly the date, but it's right in there. Um, also, in two weeks from tonight, no Sunday night service. Uh, it's going to be Easter Sunday that day. We have two services in the morning, and we have no Easter Sunday evening service. So, turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 30. We're going to pick up looking at King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah he has, well, really what he's doing, he's returning not just the southern kingdom, because again, Israel is divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom referred to usually as Israel or Ephraim, and the southern kingdom referred to as Judah, but he's bringing the whole nation back to the heart of worship or at least that's what his desire is to do. He understands that God's people have been far from their God, and, well, even his father was one of the most evil southern kings. But now he's coming back, and he's desiring that, that Israel as a whole, specifically Judah, would be right in the sight of God. So King Hezekiah, he's got a will to adhere to the word of God because that's the only way that man can know that he can be right with God. And he has a desire of holiness, to be separated from the world and the nations of the world because he understands the ends. Matter of fact, he's seen what has happened to the northern kingdom because it was during around this time that Assyria had come in and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and led them away captive. And so he's understanding the reality. They're no better than the northern kingdom. Matter of fact, again, their hearts have been turned away from the Lord. His desire is to turn them back to the Lord. So because Hezekiah wanted to do things the right way by doing them God's way, he's desiring to foster that fellowship with God. So once again, as Israel was wandering through the wilderness, they were led by the Lord. And the Lord had a desire to dwell amongst his people. 
and for that purpose he had the tabernacle built. But when people would violate God's law, that would cause a separation. And so as you would look at Leviticus, you would see that, I think we looked at it last week, that was all about the sacrifice. The sacrifice was for the purpose of the covering of sins. That way, God would continue to dwell amongst his people. His people would dwell with God. And so Hezekiah has grasped on to this concept. And so we saw last week in chapter 29 that he recommissioned the priests and the Levites for their temple duty. Remember, his father Ahaz, he had kind of joined together pagan worship with the worship of God, and, well, it was just a mess. And so Hezekiah is cleansing the temple, and the first thing he does, again, is recommission the priests and the Levites so that the work of worshiping God would once again come to pass. Secondly, we saw where the king had the trash removed out from, removed out from the temple. The trash, the trash would be those pagan images. If you recall, his father even had an altar that mimicked uh, the Assyrian altar built and installed in the temple. God's altar was pushed off to the side. Well, Hezekiah, he's restoring the priests and the Levites, taking the trash out, and then he has restored the daily periodic and personal sacrifices that were to go on. And so now, once again, the sacrifices are being made, and man has this opportunity and this reality to know that he is in the will of God, worshiping God as God has commanded man to worship him. And so Hezekiah, a man of the word, he realizes that there cannot be any partial keeping of the word, but there must be a total dedication to it. Because partial obedience to God is not obedience at all. It is disobedience. And so keep in mind what is going on here comes to Hezekiah's mind because the king had been, and we keep referring back to this, but it's necessary. The king in Deuteronomy chapter 17 had been commanded to write out the first five books of the Bible so that they would know what the will of God is. They would know how to govern God's people. So all of these kings had the word. It was just a matter, are we going to do the word or not doing the, or do the word? Jesus told his apostles when he said an example, blessed are you if you do these things. Blessed are we as we're obedient to God through being obedient to his word. So part of what Hezekiah would have written out is Exodus chapter 12, verses 24 through 28. It says, and you shall observe this thing, now we're speaking of the Passover, you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, well that's happened, just as he promised that you shall keep his service and it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? What do you mean by the Passover? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, of the God who is who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So I would imagine one of the things that Hezekiah, as he's remembering these things, and he's got a Bible, and the same five books of the Bible that he had is the same five books of the Bible that you have on your lap even right now. He remembered wait, we've been commanded to celebrate the Passover and we haven't been doing this. We're in disobedience to God in this area. So again, he's gone through and he's installed the sacrifice back in the temple, but he understands there's still some things that are missing. And again, partial obedience is not obedience at all. 
So just think of what happened, went through, what, what went through Hezekiah's mind as he remembered what happened for those. Now remember in the first Passover, the, the, the Jews were commanded to partake of the, the lamb, the Passover lamb, pointed towards the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Now God was coming to judge the world that day. He was going to kill all of the firstborn. But the Lord had given instruction to Moses, you tell the people to take the blood from the Passover and put it on the lintel and put it on the doorpost. And whoever was covered, whatever home, and that's a picture of the doorposts and the lintels were a picture of the home as a whole. Whoever has that upon their door, the angel, will, angel of death will pass over. They'll be saved by the blood of the lamb. And so I would imagine Hezekiah is thinking, Okay, so whoever partook of that meal and did what God told them to do, they were passed over. They were passed over and the firstborn didn't die. But what happened, Jew or Gentile, who didn't have that blood on their doorpost, on their lintel, that firstborn did die. And so he's coming to a realization and an understanding of the importance of keeping God's word and doing what God says. We know God's word. We understand the gospel message. Blessed are you if you follow through in the gospel message, if you believe and you receive and you enter in to a right relationship with Jesus Christ. But just to know the gospel isn't good enough. You've got to do those things. You have to enter in to see the beauty of the Lord. Because if you don't, then you're going to be reserved for the day of judgment. At the convalescent home, we were in the Gospel of Mark. I taught at the convalescent home last, uh, last Saturday. And we see this same concept here. You can be obedient or disobedient. And the one who is right with God is the one who follows through in obedience. But the one who isn't is the one who chooses disobedience and that judgment will come upon him. And so Israel's disobedience is seen in how they are only, there are only three times that we are told in the scriptures that the Passover was celebrated before Hezekiah. So from the time when they were in Egypt and celebrated that first Passover to Hezekiah's day, we are, now I don't know if they, they celebrated it any more or any less. Well, they didn't celebrate any less, but they didn't sell, I don't know if they celebrated it any more, but we're only told of three times that they celebrated the Passover meal in all of those years. And so this is a stiff-necked, a hard-hearted people. Now, concerning the Passover, the Passover, the main thing about the Passover at this point in Israel's history is that the celebrating was to be a remembering, a remembering of what God has done, a remembering that they were in bondage to the most powerful nation in the world, Egypt, and there was nothing that they could do. If you look at Exodus chapter 1, what were they doing? They were crying out to God for deliverance because they could not deliver themselves. And God heard them. And God, with his mighty hand, it's as if he reached into Egypt and pulled his people out. How, secondly, how he was able to overcome the world, that God is more powerful than the world and the things of the world. Something that we would do well to remember, that just as surely as God saved me, the power of God is there to enable me to overcome that which is contrary to him as well. And then thirdly, they have to remember through this meal how he had set his people free. Because it's one thing to relieve them of bondage, but if you're just bringing them into bondage to something else, well, what good does that really do? But 
Hezekiah is understanding the magnitude of the freedom that they have because of the goodness of God and what God has done. And in these amazing things that God has done, this amazing miracle that God accomplished, is all he's asking is that we would remember. Remember and acknowledge, because remembrance is acknowledging. Acknowledging God and God's goodness. Never forget the day of your salvation. Never forget the day that God set you free from your sinful nature. Never forget how he, although you were not deserving of, because that's the nature of grace, but nonetheless, he saved you anyway. Not about works of righteousness, which you have done, but by the precious blood of the Lamb of God and how he has done these things and how he has set us free and those whom the Son has set free are free indeed. And we can never forget these things, or we should never forget these things. Throughout all the generations, God's people were to remember this because it was part of their testimony. In Exodus 13, 8 through 10, it says, And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done, the Passover, because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you in your hand, as a memorial between your eyes, that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. Now for us, it's not about the keeping of the Passover, but the remembrance of the communion meal. We don't do it every time we meet because, again, it's so easy to fall into these religious routines, just doing things because we do things. There needs to be a genuine remembrance. There needs to be our heart, and we need to bring our heart into the matter. As far as communion, communion speaks of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, part of my encouragement almost every time we meet for the communion meal as a remembrance of first love, the remembrance of the day that you met Jesus Christ or that Christ met you. We're told of this meal in Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. It says, when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. The idea is to have intimate fellowship with God through a meal. Easter Sunday in a couple of weeks, most of us will have family over or we'll be going over to family's house and we'll sit down together for a meal because that's what family does. Well, that's what family was doing here. Verse 15, then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This was a passion of the Lord because not only is he instituting this into their lives, but he's instituting it into the lives of the generation of believers that is to come, that we would always look back and remember what occurred upon the cross. Verse 16, For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Just looking at the last thing, the, the cup, the idea is, is that wine is representative of the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb, well, this is the Lamb of God who now takes away all of the sins in the world. There were rivers of blood that have flowed from all of the various sacrifices time before that, but now this is a new covenant. It's not anything that just covers sin, it's that which washes away our sin so that we can be justified in the sight of our Father. And because of that, the gates of heaven have been opened to us and we are able to boldly enter in. 
That's what we're going to be celebrating, well, not just in two weeks from now, but that's what we need to be of the mindset to celebrate every single day. The freedom that we have found in Jesus Christ that has released us from dead works and brought us into his wonderful kingdom. We can never forget the mighty hand of God, the mighty hand of God that set us free from the bondage that held us down. How he overcame the world and the world, well, the world was set aside and the spirit entered into our life and how we now have freedom. We have freedom in that, well, even though the devil may try to tempt us or even accuse us, we have been set free in Jesus Christ. And that freedom is a freedom that can never be taken from us. We've got to hold these things dear. We have to value them, embrace them into our lives, and realize the reality of who we are in God. It was through the belief that we have that we've become children of God and been brought into the family of God. And because of all of those things, we have to show appreciation and adoration to God. Again, this needs to be a remembrance that occurs within our lives every day and every moment. Unfortunately for Judah, those things had kind of slipped away and things, well, when the things of the Lord slip away from your life, and it's not that they just slip away, when you allow them to leave your life, it leaves a vacuum. And a vacuum is always going to be filled with something. We're going to worship something, you're going to worship somebody. And if you take the things of the Lord out of your life, or if you just become lackadaisical, then you're going to fill them with the things of the world, the things of the flesh. And so we've got to be mindful of these things. And so throughout all of the generations of your family, you must never forget it. It's all about your testimony, and it's your testimony that we're told through communion and through the Passover meal that this starts at home. It starts at home, that we would train our children in the way that they should go, that we, they would understand the importance in my life and they would understand the importance in their life. Just as truly as God set me free from my sin, that God is able to set them free from their sin as well. And so this was to be a tradition that would go, not just amongst the Jewish people from the generations to generations, but specifically in family from generation to generation to generation. And you would never give up and you would never stop. I always look at myself as far as when I think of prodigals, I think of my kids as they were prodigals, and everybody that has, you know, they all have their testimony and everything, and I realize the age that I was when I was saved, when God finally arrested my soul, and I understand what God is able to do in the life of somebody else who was not walking well with him also. My dad, my dad came to the Lord on his deathbed at the age of 66. It took 66 years, but they were 66 necessary years in order for the gates of king, the kingdom of God to open up before him. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That was God's plan for whatever reason. My dad finally submitted himself to the Lord and came into his kingdom, and he is staring Jesus Christ in the face even right now. A great tragedy, a great many years again between Israel celebrating the Passover was due to their forgetting God and disobeying his will. In Numbers 9 we see where Israel celebrated the Passover two years after leaving Egypt. But unbelief, rebellion, and disobedience reigned amongst them for the next 38 years and they did not celebrate it. Finally, as Joshua led them into the land, they celebrated the Passover once more, but never again is it spoken of until this time, this time here with Hezekiah. And because of that, the witness ceased, at least to some degree. 
And so, once again, we have the communion meal once a month. Once a month, just to put some distance in between, so we don't take it as routine, but once a month, so that as we gather this place, we have the elements here in front of the platform, and everybody comes and gets them. And the idea is you come and you get it, and you take it back with you. And we hold them together, and we partake of the communion meal together, because it is to be a family thing. Remember that that meal that you'll be partaking in in a couple of weeks? Well, it's the feeling of family that we are to have here as well as we partake of that meal, that we've all come into this family the very same way. We're all children of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul told Timothy, and the things that you have heard from me, the things that you have heard from the leader that God has placed over you, the things that you have heard from the person that is more mature, the things that you have heard from me from, a many, from among many witnesses, so it validates the truthfulness of this, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's all about the progression from faith to faith to faith to faith. As much as it depends upon us, we keep that moving forward. Because again, look how long the Word of God has been going out and changing lives. Again, look at your life today. Look at one of the apostles back in Jesus' day. Jesus taught and instructed that apostle. That apostle came and took that message and spoke it to somebody else. And they, in turn, spoke it to somebody else. And look at all the generations until it arrived at the doorstep of your heart. And far be it from us, from me or you, that that message would cease at my life but that I would speak that message, that I would live that message, and that message would go on and would reign in the hearts of the future generations as well. Because once again, your testimony is that which is going to continue to reign. It's going to continue to... Um, it's going to continue to minister even after you're long dead. The word of God that you speak continues to reign even after you're gone. And so it's just an amazing thing to understand that. It's an amazing thing to know that. So with all of this knowledge, you've got Hezekiah not only in this position of authority, but he's understanding, he's in a position of accountability as well. There's responsibility that, has lied, that lies now with, in his, his reign. And so first thing we're going to see here is, is a royal declaration, verses 1 through 8. And Hezekiah sent to all of Israel and Judah. So understand now, this is a nationwide call. He, he could be kind of full of himself. Well, you know what? Israel broke off and they were worshiping false gods. Now Assyria has come in and hauled them off. Just let them go off and, you know, too bad. But no, he's understanding that this call is to all of God's people. And Hezekiah sent to all of Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. Why Ephraim and Manasseh? Those are just two tribes, if you're unfamiliar, of the northern kingdom. There's really ten tribes. But Ephraim is what the northern kingdom was usually referred to as. So that would mostly be not just that tribe, but it would be kingdom-wide. And Manasseh is the tribe in which the city of Shechem uh, was located at, and Shechem was the capital of the northern kingdom. So really, he's speaking to the totality of the northern kingdom. Verse 2, for the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month. Now you're saying, wait a minute, it's supposed to be kept in the first month. 
Well, everybody was not purified. Everybody was not prepared. And so what we're going to see here is, is what God's word says, but also how God gives grace to the person who has a heart to worship him. And so God could have stuck to the letter of the law. It's either the first, you've got to wait till next year. God doesn't do that. He doesn't play games like that. For the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month, verse 3. For they could not keep it at the regular time because a sufficient number of priests had not consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem. And the matter pleased the king and all the assembly, so they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all of Israel from Beersheba to Dan, Dan is the most northern, Beersheba the most southern, that they should come to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem since they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner. Then the runners went throughout all Israel and Judah with the letters from the king and his leaders and spoke according to the command of the king. Children of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Then he will return to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hands of the kings of Assyria. And do not be like your fathers and your brethren who trespass against the Lord God and their fathers so that he gave them up to desolation as you see. Now do not be stiff-necked. To be stiff-necked, the idea is to have a rope around a donkey's neck and trying to lead him. He's stiff-necked. He's, he's pulling against you and he's not being led by you. Do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but reveal, uh, yield yourselves to the Lord and enter his sanctuary that he, may sanctify, that he has sanctified forever and serve the Lord your God that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you nationalism has separated them. They've pulled off into their sides, Judah and Israel. Hezekiah knew that the Passover celebration is what is necessary to unify them. So there was a remnant because there's always a remnant that was left behind because Assyria again had invaded the 10 tribes of the north and he has led them away captive. Again, a very cruel people. When they came in and they conquered a nation, they would displace all the people. They would put people that they had conquered from another nation there, and they would keep them in unfamiliar territory, and they believed that they were able to exhibit a little bit more control that way. Notice how the call to all of Israel is also the command to all of Israel. Here, Cain is realizing this isn't just to us. I can't exclude anybody who has a heart to do so. This was not a Hezekiah thing or a Judah thing, but this is all of the Lord's people. Verses 10 and 12. So the runners passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but they laughed at them and mocked them. Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem Also the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart, and there's unity here, to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. And so those who have forsaken the Lord, they refuse at least a portion of them to come back to the Lord. They forsook the Lord when they were led astray and they worshipped idols. Because they forsook the Lord, the Lord forsook them and allowed Assyria to come in and defeat, destroy, and disperse them. And so it kind of sounds like people like we'll run into today. How could a loving God allow this happen to us? 
And really what you're seeing is pride and arrogance there, and I believe that's why they're mocking them. Come and worship the Lord. Why should we come and worship the Lord? Look what has happened. I've got relatives that have been taken away from me. People have been killed, and we've been destroyed as a nation, as a people. And when people have that mindset, that we're, in actuality what they're doing, they're refusing to look at their rebellion and their disobedience. How could God allow anybody to be led to hell? Well, they weren't led to hell. They decided to go there because they refused the way out. They refused a right relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ. And so they seem to be bitter here, and more than likely it's because the situation that they found themselves in because they fostered that situation through their obedience and rebellion to the Lord. But again, there's always that contrast of a godly few who are willing who are willing to start over, who understand that they've gone in the wrong direction. Again, it's the essence of what is necessary in our lives when we find ourselves away from the Lord is repentance. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It's essential, I say it a lot, but it's essential to remember that's the doctrine that John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the Lord. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, it's the doctrine that the Lord Jesus Christ taught, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That being the case, if there's no repentance, there's no forgiveness. It's essential that we understand that. He didn't say, raise your hand for forgiveness of sins. He didn't say, bring Jesus into your heart for the forgiveness of sins. He says, repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Once we repent for the forgiveness of our sins, yeah, then we come to Christ. We come to Christ in belief. We come to Christ in prayer. We come into Christ in the word. We grow in the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, and we learn to forsake the world. But there has to be that repentance. In Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3, I think we looked at this on Thursday night as well, but we're told here, Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Remember that verbiage, if you return to me, I will return to you. Well, it goes a little bit deeper. God is telling them, if you start over with me, I'll start over with you. God will never refuse anybody who has that desire to start afresh with him according to his will and according to his way. So there's not one person who is beyond salvation. There's nobody who cannot start afresh with the Lord. And the only one who is condemned is the one who has blasphemed the Holy Spirit by not coming to Christ before the day that they die. And in actuality, this is what Hezekiah is doing. He's starting, we're starting afresh with God. Matter of fact, we're starting right at the beginning. We're reinstituting the Passover meal. This needs to be an expression of our heart as we celebrate the communion meal. I'm starting afresh with the Lord. Lord, if there's any sin in my life, if there's anything that caused celebration, uh, celebration, separation, bring it to my memory, Father. Bring it before so that I can repent of it and we can start anew. And again, it, it's the essentials of what the Christian life is. And it's, again, these things that we must embrace. Next, we see the Passover celebration, verse 13. Now many people, now many people, a very great assembly, gathered at Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month. They arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and they took away the incense altars and cast them into the brook Kedron. Now those were the things that were of the pagan worship. Brook Kedron would be the local dump, if you will. 
And they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and the Levites were uh, ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. So that which God has commanded them to do, they are now doing. So what are they doing? They're following God's will. And as we follow God's will through God's word, we know that we are in God's perfect will. It's important to know and to understand every moment of our lives. We're in the will of the Lord. And the only way you know if you're in the will of the Lord is when you're doing the word of God. Now, it's just detail. Again, we're not going verse by verse through Second Chronicles. We're doing a survey of Second Chronicles. But if we skip over to verse 27, Then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place to heaven. What is it that hinders the prayers of mankind? It's our sin. And what's happening here? They're offering the sacrifice that covers sin, and now the doors to heaven, if you will, are open before him, and their prayers are now coming once again into the throne of God. That's an amazing time. It's an amazing thing that is happening. God's attention is once again directed back towards his people. And again, what we need to see, it's all because of the blood of the lamb, but also the obedience of the heart of the people to be right in the sight of their God. And so this celebration consisted of another cleansing, again in verses 13 through 14, to take the things of the world out. And that's a continuous process before we can truly worship the Lord is to eradicate the world and the things of the world. We're told in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to the world, but transform through the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is that good and perfect will of God. It's a proven fact. That which you surround yourself with will have influence upon you. That which you surround yourself with will have some sort of influence upon you. And you must consider that being the case. What is it that I surround myself with? What is it that we spend the majority of our time partaking in? We are to take in the word of God through coming to service, through personal reading and whatnot. But I take that proportion of time and compare it to the proportion of time that I'm taking other things in. And, and you know, look at the movies that are out there. And some of the movies we watch and, and, and the language that is there and the themes of these movies. And, and this is just like, you know, as far as God's word and reading the Bible versus IMAX theater and surround sound and all of that. And we'll pound our senses for long periods of time with this stuff that is just, well, some of it is even contrary to the word of God. Or gaming, sitting on the gaming for hours upon hours, day after day after day after day. And these things that are titillating the senses and taking these things in and the blood and all the the killing and whatever. I don't play these games, so I don't know everything that's on there. Or just simple television, which isn't so simple anymore. A lot of the things that are on TV today are rated R in movies back then. I was reading an article in a sports magazine, and they were using foul language in the article. I mean, it's just all of these things. And I'm a little bit sensitive to that because I, I used to use some of that language before I was saved. And now if I'm revisiting and if I'm saturating that into my life once again, if I'm surrounding myself with that kind of language, what happens when I'm up here and something spills out of my mouth? It's going to hinder everything that I desire to say, or at least God desires to say through me. Because what is it that you're going to focus on for the rest of the service? 
did you hear what Pastor Mike said? And so, what are we surrounding ourselves with? Because what you surround yourself with is going to influence you. It's going to influence you physically, intellectually, and emotionally. It's going to have a profound effect upon you. Have you ever watched a movie, and at the end of the movie, you just felt like it just really impacted you? Now, not necessarily for the Lord, but again, that's what it's intended to do. It's intended to overwhelm you and to impact you. That's what you would call a good movie, because why? Your senses were stirred that day. Wasn't that a great romance movie? Or the hero and how he emerged victorious, or whatever it might have been, might be. Again, these things, they have an effect upon us. And if you do your homework, if you look at the Word of God, and you watch some of these movies, you'll see that they're direct contrast to the Word of God. My wife and I, we were, you know, we had four young kids, and you know, VCRs had come in then, and we had the Disney movies and all of that. And one day, I was sitting there on the couch, and they were watching Little Mermaid for probably about the 20,000th time. They would watch it, and then they, can I watch it again? You know, kind of a thing. And I'm watching this movie, and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, my kids are watching this time after time after time, and it's a movie about a rebellious girl who knows more than her foolish parents know. And she's in rebellion. And I'm thinking, what are we teaching our children here? You know, what is it that we're pouring into their lives? And we've got to consider that. It's essential. It's important that we consider that because it is going to have an effect upon them. Notice how this, again, in the last part, and the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people and their voice was heard and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place to heaven. It's just a picture of intercessory prayer, lifting up in prayer and asking God that he would bless his people, make his presence known amongst his people. It's one of the prayers that I have before our service, either in the morning or one of the evenings or whenever it is that we meet, men's on Wednesday morning. God, just show us your presence amongst your people today. God, do a work through your word and meet this church where it's at in a way that impacts the society that we live in. We are all unclean, and it's the representation before God's throne that reveals our acceptability before God through Jesus Christ, who has washed us clean. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, I exhort, I encourage, first of all, that supplication, or prayers for needs, prayers, simply talking to God, intercessions, praying for others, and the giving of thanks be made for all men. It's not just about me. We've got to be others-orientated, praying and lifting one another up. And then this all accumulates in great joy. Verse 25 through 27, the whole assembly of Judah rejoiced. Also the priests and the Levites and all the assembly that came from Israel, the soldiers who came from the land of Israel and those who dwelt in Judah, so that there was great joy in Jerusalem. How is it that joy relates to what we see? Well, joy is as we are obedient to the Lord and we're following through in God's will once again. This is what the Apostle Paul visited in the book of Philippians in chapter 1, just to look at a few things before we continue on in chapter 31 back in Second Chronicles. 
But the Apostle Paul, when we studied Philippians, we saw that that epistle is all about the joy that a Christian is able to have. But it goes a little bit further than that. It's about the joy that a Christian is able to have as he's going through hard times and difficult days. Because as we saw Philippians, it was one of the Apostle Paul's prison epistles. He wrote this while he was in jail. He wrote this as he was going through trial and tribulation, as he was going through hard times, and I can imagine had to be overwhelmed. The average Christian could say, listen, Lord, I've served you. I've done all this stuff if you did what Paul did, and this is where it's got me, but not the Apostle Paul. The theme of Philippians is joy. And Paul, as he was chained to that Roman guard in either house arrest or in a dungeon, wherever he was, there was still not just joy in his life, but the need that he had to convey the joy of the Lord, now this is the joy that we have in the Lord, to others. And what is the joy that he speaks of? Well, first is in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. The joy of remembrance. The joy of just remembering not just the goodness of God, but the fellowship of the brethren. And, and how we've been lifted up together, how we get a church together and we're able to minister to Anne's family, this woman who had ministered to us. And again, if you're unfamiliar with who Anne is, she served here for many, many years. As Sean pointed out, she held all of his children as babies in her arm. She served in the cleaning ministry when nobody was around to see her. And there's many in this church that serve just, just as abundantly. But again, it's just the joy of remembrance, of remembering her and understanding what God had done in her life and just how she served, her, served him unabatedly. Secondly, in verse 4, Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. And again, it's that joy of intercessory prayer. It's just the joy of one another and having that desire to represent them in the throne room of God. Verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And the idea here is the joy of fellowship, the joy of just being able to come together with like-minded people, people who are serving the same Lord for the very same cause. Verse 6, being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you We'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's the joy of assurance that God's in this. That God's in this and God is doing a work. And where does it all end? It all ends with our presence, ourselves in the presence of God. And then verses 7 and 8, just that it is right for me to think of this, uh, think of this of you all because I have you in my heart as much as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you you all are partakers of with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with all affection of Jesus Christ. And this is just simply the joy of brotherly love. Just being edified, building up one another and strengthening one another because that's just simply what a church is to do, a church that is obedient to the Lord. And then we see a future preparation. Again, we're just going to touch on a couple of things here in chapter 31. And I'm just going to look at the first couple and then the last couple of verses. So here in chapter 31, it says, and back in Second Chronicles, Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars in pieces, 
cut down the wooden images and threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim, and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his possession. So you see the passion that they have to cleanse themselves from these things of the world. Some of these things were high places where false gods were worshipped. Some of these were places where God was worshipped, but they were doing so contrary to how God has commanded his people to worship him. Verse 2, And Hezekiah appointed the divisions of priests and the Levites according to their divisions, each man according to his service, the priests and the Levites, for burnt offerings and peace offerings to serve, to give thanks, to praise, uh, and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. So again, he's setting things in order. He's putting things where they need to be. And people are serving the Lord because he's wanting to establish this as something permanent in the face of God. And if you skip over to verses 20 and 21, it says, Thus Hezekiah did throughout all of Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he begun, in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandment, to seek his God, for he did it with all of his heart, so he prospered. Why is all of this important? Well, not just to have that right relationship with God for that day, but... You know, obedience to God is obviously always important. But secondly, because the difficult day is coming. Because, see, there's going to be the main difference is what we're going to see. We'll see this next week between Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. Assyria came to the northern kingdom, as I said, destroyed it and hauled them off captive. Assyria is coming to the southern kingdom. Assyria is coming Hardship is coming into all of our lives. And the question is, are you prepared? Are you prepared? Do you still have your dependency upon false gods and things that are contrary to God? Or have you built up a strong base of belief so that when the difficult day comes, you could be rest assured of your right standing in the sight of God? The floods are coming in Judah's future. In Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, well, that's what Hezekiah has done, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing... So you have this contrast between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. He who heard and did nothing is like a man who built this house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently or Assyria came against it and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. And the ruin of the northern kingdom was great because never did they have a king who was right in the sight of God and they continually worshipped idols. Hezekiah came to this understanding. We're not right in the sight of God. We've walked away from the Lord, but we must return to him. Because if we return to him, he'll return to us. And Hezekiah understood that Assyria was out there, but his priority was God. And because his priority was God, God made him and the kingdom God's priority. As Assyria came, God protected them. And the only reason that God would protect them, not that they were better people, but they had a heart for the Lord and the things of the Lord. 
bring this through to our day. This morning we looked at end-time theology and we see the hard things that are going to be happening in that difficult day, especially when the tribulation comes. But God has not reserved us for that day. God has not called us to tribulation. God has delivered us just simply because we have faith in him and all that he is able to do. Because of that, there's going to be hard times. You're going to see that they were shaken to their core as Assyria came right up to the doorstep. But it was the mighty hand of God that delivered them from Egypt, delivered them from Assyria, delivered Christ from death upon the cross, delivered you, is able to bring you unto himself, is able to save your soul and keep you for all eternity. Father, we just thank you, Lord that your word just goes so deep and how your word just all fits together, how your word was sufficient back then and it's pertinent for us here today, how, Lord, we're able to study these things and find joy, Lord, in our Christian lives, but also a confidence in you. And so, Father, I pray that we would be a people, Lord, who are rooted and grounded into your word, that we would seek you out and that we would forever worship you. Father, I pray for those who have come out tonight that you would go before them in this week to come. I pray that you would protect them. I pray that you would bless them. But most of all, I pray that you would use them. And so, Father, we just stand before you as imperfect people. Pray, God, that you would fill us with your spirit. Use us for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? Well, as I said at the beginning of service, we have our Easter season that's coming upon us and a week. We are going to have Sunday evening service next Sunday, but starting the next day, Monday, we're going to have our work of prayer and a week of prayer and fasting. Our week of prayer and fasting involves gathering together here. The church is going to be open every night of the week. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we're going to gather together just simply for prayer. We'll have a time of worship. Thursday, we'll have our normal Thursday service, and then Friday, we'll have our Good Friday service. Again, this starts a week from tomorrow, but also time of fasting. My wife and I, we will be fasting. Um, That doesn't mean that we're not eating for that whole week, but we have a particular fast that we do. You can fast by giving up one meal, maybe one day, whatever it might be. Whatever it is that causes those hunger pangs to remind you to pray. What is it that we're praying for? As I said, our church doubles on Easter Sunday. Pray for the people that are here, that hear God's God's, uh, gospel message, that they would open their hearts to it. We would see salvation and revival come to our area, our sphere of influence in Ontario. Lift it up in prayer. Be passionate about it, and you'll see God will be passionate about us. God bless you guys. is coming soon. Call back the sinner, wake up the saint, let every nation shout of your fame. Jesus is coming soon. Like a bride waiting for her groom, 
church ready for you every heart longing for a king we sing even so come lord jesus come even so come lord jesus come there will be justice all will be new your name forever faithful and true Jesus is coming soon. Like a bride waiting for her groom, we'll be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for our King, we sing, even so come. Lord Jesus, come, even so come, Lord Jesus, come. So we wait, we wait for you, God, we wait, you're coming soon. So we wait, we wait for you. God, we wait, you're coming soon. So we wait, so we wait, we wait for you. God, we wait. God, we wait, you're coming. church ready for you every heart longing for our king we sing even so come lord jesus come even so come lord jesus come even so come even so come Lord Jesus, come, even so come, Lord Jesus, come, amen. That's our prayer. Have a blessed night, everyone.